recording and pro okay let's do it hi everyone welcome back to district of cinema after a short winter hiatus we are back uh not in the studio because of omicron we are recording from the safety of our homes but cinema will go on as you know as we've seen in the pandemic anyway it's me uh tristan ow life managing editor of the eagle I'm joined with my regular guests. I'm not guests. Hosts. Wow. Yeah, I don't know why. Wow. I, I don't know why. I wow. That. You have it upgraded. Oh. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking like hegemony over the pot. My regular hosts, arts and entertainment editor, uh, Cause, and yeah. now newly minted silver screen editor, Spencer Hooper. Yeah. <laughs> Back uh, zooming from Antarctica. Um, I'm Frederick, so, Maryland. Send help. Send <laughs> no, help. he's like in, <laughs> he's like in, in like a, a, a remote place. So. Yeah, he's like Guantanamo. So. I can't even tell what he's saying. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Well, we're gonna do a little something different today. Um, since there there haven't been any really, we haven't been publishing for a bit, and because uh, we've been on break, but. We thought it'd be fun uh, today to uh, all watch a movie together. Not, well, not physically together, but watch the same movie and talk about it for a bit and choosing sort of culturally relevant movies. I think this one's pretty culturally relevant for the time. So this week we watched uh, Paper Moon, directed by Peter Bogdanovich, um, came out in 1973. And this guy, uh, Bogdanovich, he just recently passed away, actually, like last week at the time of recording this. So I thought it'd be interesting to, well, I mean, I, I actually didn't realize that until like picking the movie. Um, but I think it's still timely. And uh, yeah, this is one of his most well-known movies. Um, so yeah, uh, Paper Moon, I'll give a brief description about it. Um, basically, it's, it's, a, it's from 1973, shot in black and white, um, set during... Uh, the Great Depression in Kansas and Missouri, and it stars a um, it stars this con man who's like selling Bibles to to people in this really like ingenious sort of um, awful way, uh, and he is joined by a orphan, and they <laughs> this orphan is like the smartest child I've ever seen, and the orphan uh, may or may not be his child. Well, yes, and they're played by an actual. The, or, the orphan does smoke, she is nine years old and she smokes cigarettes. Um, but this is played by a, they're both played by uh, a father and daughter duo, uh, Ryan O'Neill and Tatum O'Neill as the daughter, uh, which is, I think, really cool. That's why they have a lot of chemistry, I guess. But anyway, uh, so basically it's it's sort of this like, I would call it, I would call it a comedy movie. Would you, you guys say it's a comedy? I think it's pretty funny, personally. I honestly haven't seen a lot of screwball comedies, but I've seen that term get thrown around with it, which was, was kind of interesting because a lot of like the famous screwballs came out of the 30s and 40s, which is when the movie is set. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Right. It does have sort of this classical feel to it, the film, I think. Um, yeah, it definitely does. Especially I didn't think it was from oh. the 70s until I looked it up. So that was <laughs> 
I think why did Tristan have us watch this? <laughs> oh, you thought it was it was like a Charlie Chaplin movie or something? Yeah, it was like this was a weird <laughs> pick. I was like kind of like out of Keaton like, silent okay. movie. <laughs> well, I was I don't know I was going through like movies that we could all watch together without having to like pirate anything. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, it is it's it's from the seventies, but it is shot in black and white. And I've I've been watching a lot of like recent movies that have been shot in black and white. I guess it's a pretty stylish thing right now. Malcolm and Marie, Passing. I just watched Passing uh, over the break. Uh, I know the new Macbeths in black and white. So, yeah, I don't know. I th- I thought this film looked quite honestly breathtaking. Some shots. Yeah, the Great. black and white is really dynamic, especially in the close-up shots. Like I think a lot of times when you see older movies, it's kind of flat, but this kind of like sparkles, especially right. with the use of shadows. I really like that part of it. Mm-hmm. I agree. There's, there's like this. I think the idea of like depth in this film is is also um, quite apparent. Like, there's also a lot of like, um, not exactly camera movement, but but blocking where, where characters are like moving towards the camera, um, mm-hmm. and to like emphasize their emotions and stuff. I, I don't know. I thought it was really well shot. Um, but yeah, um, this is a. This film uh, won an Academy Award, actually, for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, yeah, I think she's the youngest to ever win it. I think at she still is the youngest. Old. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At how old? Ten. Not, uh, ten. Yeah, ten. That's yeah. Pretty, Why that's did she get Supporting Actress, by the way? When I read that, I was kind of confused and slightly angry because she steals that movie. Like, that is her She's movie. basically the protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. That I, kind I of made know. me upset when I read that. I mean, that I'm is... glad she got an award. That's the best <laughs> actress material. No, no, you should, the award should be revoked because, you know, she's actually the protagonist. But yeah, um, I don't know. I just thought it was, uh, like, honestly, a very flawless, like, not flawless, but a very all-around very good movie. <laughs> I was not expecting a lot because I'd never seen any of this director's work. I'd only heard about this movie before, but I think it's kind of stuck on. I've never heard of it before until recently. Well, I think something that it did well too, that it didn't really, or I was expecting it to fall into the trap of is like, I love old movies of old Hollywood and the like, but you know, some of them are like three hours long for no reason. And like nothing really happens. It just, it's very long. And I felt like this one pacing wise was like not horrific, which again, I think when you kind of get into these, this style of film, that's like clearly very like old school. Like I feel like sometimes you run the risk of like, oh, is this going to be a two and a half hour long movie with no plot? But I don't even think this was two hours long. No, mm-hmm. it's not. A lot of those old Hollywood movies have a ton, like half the movie is exposition and this one just jumps right in, which I really yeah. appreciated. <laughs> They were just like, you have to take her now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's the thing. I I also think that, I think people call this like a road movie too, because it's, I don't know, the, the term road movie gets thrown around whenever there's a car and they're on a road for like more than half the movie. It, it Bonnie and Clyde-ish. Um, yeah, I guess. But like, I think sometimes what road movies like do that throw me off a bit, that like make me not really like them are is like really overextending or like an idea and like sort of sitting with that same idea for a long time. I think there's this film sort of tries to subvert the 
like you said, classical Hollywood sort of style um, by being very like quickly paced. And um, there is like, and there are characters that are like really like more like caricatures too, which I think is funny. Um, specifically the, Mad the Madeline Kahn character, who I'd only seen from Young Frankenstein. I thought she was hilarious. Anna. Um, no, the thing is, she's kind of a caricature, but like, I don't know. That's how I felt about her. And then she gives that speech on the side of the road, and I'm like, okay, okay. She, <laughs> she starts screaming at Addie. Yeah, I don't know. And the same thing. That is true. Imogene, that, is, that is true. The same thing with Imogene. I thought like they could have just, I don't know. Obviously, that character could have been a disaster for obvious reasons, but. Like the whole plot with uh, her and Hattie in the hotel was really, I really liked that. That was a, that might have been to me the funniest part. I don't know. Though. That whole like scheme of like trying yeah, to trick with them. the. I love the the doorman, the 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 front desk receptionist guy <laughs> character. He is he's so, such a goober. <laughs> he is such a goober. Um, he's got this like awful like mustache like like mustache. What are they what are they called? Like the little pinstripe or like the. Handlebar. Pencil. Not yeah, pencil. the handlebar. Not a pencil. Never mind. Like pencil mustache looking creepy dude. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and I think there's like this really interesting to give context to the film. So in the beginning, the first scene is uh, Addie is the character of the daughter, uh, the, the daughter's name. So Addie um, is at a funeral for her mom. Her mom has just passed away. And um, Mose, which is the uh, played by Ryan O'Neill, um, shows up at this funeral. I don't remember why. I think it's to try and like collect money off of like some sort of loophole or something, like because he's like a con man and he's just trying to make money whatever he way he can. Um, and he gets sort of looped into like this promise to take Addie back to uh, her aunt's house in, I think, Missouri, and they're in Kansas. So that's why the, both of them are sort of forced to um, be together. And Addie sort of learns along the way how um, Moe's cons people. And she, at some point, <laughs> it becomes like the, the actual genius behind the, their money-making operations. So. Um, yeah, that's that's like the whole premise of the movie, and I think that there is like a lot. There's like this first. This is a great scene in the when they first initially meet in the diner, where she thinks she's like asking like, "Well, are you my dad?" And he's like, "No, I'm not your dad." Um, and she's like, "Well, okay, because this guy just conned this man. Um, Mo's just conned this man for like two hundred dollars um, off of Addie's mother's death." And so Addie overheard that and said, well, then you owe me $200. Uh, and this catches the most off like completely by surprise. Um, and then there's this whole, that, that really sets up the dynamic between the two. Um, this like, it's not a father daughter dynamic, but it's like, <laughs> I think it's really funny um, how the film like begins and sort of ends this way. Um, but yeah, I thought, that was really interesting. This like the dynamic that's not exactly parental, but kind of it's like pseudo parental. I don't know what do you guys think. About? I would agree. I mean, I think that there was a very, I mean, I was of the opinion that 
I read the beginning as he was there because he was the girl's dad. And like when the neighbors were like, you look a lot like her, haha. And he was like, no, I gotta go. And then I think just because he was affiliated with Trixie later, I was like, ah, okay. Yeah, so I get it. Um, but I think so. I think from the beginning, I was reading it like he knew that and she kind of caught on too fast. And he was like, no. But I feel like because it's made very vague and they never come to a conclusion, then like it can be whatever however you interpret it but I think it was also pointed that they cast a real father and daughter to play the roles that <laughs> it read that way but I thought that was a really interesting choice like I didn't know that they were father and daughter until I searched it out well I think until you told me actually um and I think that's really cool um I don't know how uh actually help I guess it's helpful um that dynamic but um yeah uh what else do I want to say um other than that I I feel like this this film sort of takes a I don't know if it's do you think it's a positive movie a negative movie like do you think it's hopeful hopeless uh especially under the backdrop of like the great depression and there are like these little instances where uh, they talk all about uh, Franklin Rolo uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt and what he's saying to everyone, like, help out your fellow American. Um, and they're like, no. <laughs> uh, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Do we, do we not care about poverty? No, I think it's just... <laughs> I think that probably given the juxtaposition of the the year in which it was released and I think I was reading that it was based off a novel um and I think yeah the novel is also 71 and just look that up but I think probably the people at that point who had lived through the great depression probably didn't want to think too much about <laughs> the great depression anymore would be my guess because you know we are far I feel like that's a point at which you're far enough away from it that it's like okay like I don't want to look back on this at this point, you know, and I feel like that might have been why they chose to make a story that was like more of a comic thing juxtaposed with that instead of being like focusing on the kind of, you know, and I think it's also, I was reading people's letterboxed reviews of the movie because that's, I just, I don't know, I got bored. And, um, a lot of people were saying that they liked that they had the that Addie only let her dad con people who were clearly very wealthy, which I found also really interesting if we're going to talk about the premise of how they handled like, like poverty in this movie was because I know the woman that they scammed the most like the shots were like Addie could see that she had a crystal chandelier like a huge ring or whatever and then she was like oh the book is $24 which I guess someone said an inflation would have been around $500 now. So I think that there was like a, a very pointed kind of statement being made there too also, which I don't know, I found interesting. Yeah, I think that brings up like sort of this, um, maybe like morally where the film stands because these are like people, <laughs> these two characters are conning people for money during the Great Depression. Um, you know, they're making their livings off of just like tricking people. Like my favorite instance is um, 
how they use the the dollar bills and like asking for change. I think that's so funny. Um, but they didn't trick the family that had like the seven kids. She gave them the book. Yeah. Which I found really like stuff like that. I just thought was a really interesting like it's not making a brute like it's not a brutal representation of you know such like the situation it's not like trying to take that and be like like I'm not gonna come up with the right words here but I feel like it's a it's a more nuanced kind of take on it I guess yeah and like I think what's interesting is that Moe's in that scene is going to con these people uh, and then Addie is the one who stops him, um, kind of showing that this child at least has some sort of moral compass, uh, <laughs> which is good. But yeah, I know I, I absolutely agree. Um, I think there are interesting questions brought up about that, especially when it's set against the Great Depression. There are like sort of these uh, little insert shots of like, of like people on the side of the road, like with like a broken down car. There's like seven people trying to like fit in this like wagon or whatever. Things like that, um, you know, that gives I think the film an an extra sort of layer of depth, uh, of depth, and sort of, um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's my thought. But other than that, it's pretty it's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple premise. I think just done really well. What say? What about did everyone like? I didn't even ask. Did, anyone, did everyone like the movie? I did really like the movie. Um, I think. I just, it's I think it's that thing where it's like tragedy plus time equals comedy where like there's an ironic pessimism that I think was missing from a lot of the depression era movies because they were just like trying to distract themselves from the depression since they were actually going through it and um yeah I guess you see that in a lot of not historical like not revisionists but what am I trying to say historical fiction movies I see. Like yeah. retrospective movies. Yeah. Especially in American movies. Mm-hmm. With that whole mystique I mean, of like the American dream. And yeah, especially how, like, like this is like this, this is like the 70s, you know, like this is like during civil rights era, Vietnam. Um, and sort of, I think that this generation of like lawmakers are all people who have sort of grown up in the Great Depression, you know. Um, these or are like six like yeah exactly or they're like boomers um like middle-aged boomers and or not middle-aged but just entering the workforce and that kind of stuff. but yeah i know i think that's it i think that's also um you like the movie too cause yeah i thought it was good nothing else to say <laughs> um i don't know i like I, I again have very big like pacing issues and like, I guess I, I mentioned that this one wasn't bad, but there, like, I feel like just to, when I go too long in a movie without anything substantial happening, I'm like, okay, I'm a little, you know, you can sell as many Bibles as you want in 30 minutes, but I will get, I will get a little bored. So that's my problem. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, at least the same thing doesn't like happen over and over at least they're not like selling bibles for the whole movie there yeah is, that's there true is. and had it actually been made in the 30s or 40s that <laughs> if it didn't have sound um oh, that would yeah. be really good i like madeline khan's character a lot though i always love her in things though so i wish she had been more like there <laughs> more but <laughs> oh well 
her and Imogen yeah, she's, are like liked that dynamic. She's a great, she's a great comedic actor. Uh, very funny. It was just all right. Funny. Well, that's what. Oh, I said it was just funny when it was the four of them. That was my favorite. Yeah, one. that was a good dynamic. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's what we have to say about Paper Moon. I would rec- I would recommend it. It's a great film. Um, it's currently streaming on Amazon Prime. If you have Prime, or if you're, I think they have like a student thing. They, I'm not gonna talk about Amazon. We've talked about Amazon, Amazon Prime uh, on the show. Um, but yeah. Our next sort of shorter topic, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, recently, I don't know if anyone knew this because I didn't, uh, the Golden Globes was last weekend and at the time of recording this. And I had no idea until the morning before, uh, the morning after, and I was on Twitter and I was like, oh, here are all the winners of the Golden Globes. Like, oh, that happened. Um, But yeah, uh, I can sort of run down why, unless anyone wants to summarize it, I can really quick uh basically so there was a really big investigation in february by the la times um about how the hfpa uh are bad the hfpa stands for the hollywood foreign press association so basically what they did, they did was they had like they did things like self-dealing corruption uh they also had zero black numbers so just a total mess um through this investigation and they were under a lot of controversy um that led uh originally i think it's nbc that uh broadcast the golden globes um nbc pulled out of broadcasting so there was no nobody wanted to broadcast the golden globes um what on the night that happened uh but yeah uh and i guess up to today uh, the HFPA has tried to, uh, they said that they've hired like a diversity, um, what, what do they call it? Like a diversity consultant. Uh, consultant. Yeah. And they're, they will promise to hire for, okay. It says here in the, in this, in this like sort of timeline that the HFPA promises to add at least 13 black members, which I think is really just, I don't know why they, uh, put a number. Um, because I, I feel like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I feel like a num- numbers are like arbitrary as long as like you get like, you don't need to say like, oh, we need at least like, you know, we need a Asian quota in the, no, I don't think that's you know, um, what these groups should be doing. As long as like, I think you should just be including more people, you know, um, just grow the, just grow the members, the amount of members. And does, does there have to be a cap? I don't know. I don't know how these groups work, but anyway, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big mess and the Golden Globes, uh, were totally, uh, I think they were still done in LA and it was like a small ceremony. No celebrity showed up, accepted their awards. I mean, some recognize their awards, um, over Twitter. Um, but yeah, what do you guys, do you guys have any like opinions about that? Cause it's a pretty big, I think it's a pretty big deal for sort of cinema, um, Hollywood, especially, obviously, um, like the American film industry, what do you guys think? I think it's hard to talk about topics like diversity within um, award shows and stuff without beating a dead horse, because you have things like Marlon Brando refusing to accept his award for Godfather on these grounds in, what, 71? Like, this is like a 50-plus-year-old issue, and it's just, I don't know. It's, it's disgusting that it 
is still happening this way, but I, I know that um, HFPA added 21 new members. Um, that's like much more diverse than the current whitewashed uh, team of whatever you want to call them. But yeah, I don't know. And they gave up the award to the guy from Squid Game. Good, good for them. They did do that. Okay, I, I will say, I looked at the Golden Globe winners, and yes, the, the old dude from Squid Game won, which is great. Uh, I love it when an Asian wins the Golden Globe. Um, also, MJ, I, th I think her name is MJ Rodriguez, right? Yeah, yeah first um, transgender Golden Globe winner um, for an for a performance. I, that's what I read from. Um, so that's crazy. That's that's still like and like women. Uh, of she spoke at AU last year too. I saw oh, I covered that for AU and she yeah with the black friend she came and she spoke oh, it was really it was super interesting I think I did hear about that yeah that is so I mean that, that's so cool and of course uh winners like Ariana DeBose Rachel Zegler uh women of color this is I mean their their performance in the West Side Story was very good um so yeah I I, I think that the winners sure you could say like oh the winners are getting better but I mean it's, um, I think the, just the nature of award shows in general in Hollywood um, have always been this sort of <laughs> soft, this, this sore spot of the industry recently. It's, I think it's hard to conduct like a morally right award show. And I don't, and personally, I don't care because I think these award shows are a sham and the best movies are never highlighted in these award shows, but that's just my take uh, as a global citizen, as a global cinema um the fact that like golden globes still use foreign language as a category um but yeah i i think like minari was in uh was in the category for foreign language film last year which is i think just so stupid but anyway um i digress uh yeah does anyone have any other thoughts about this controversy or i, I mean i think else, that uh, i think that arts awards are always going to be a very challenging topic, whether it's in film or theater or literature, wherever you want to place them, because it does really depend on who's giving out the awards. And I mean, art is such a subjective topic and such a, like, we all saw the same movie and we all had different opinions on it. If we had to decide, you know, what gets an award here, it's, it's a very challenging, like, thing to agree on and you have to remember that I'm sure there's a voting process for half of these that like say you're comparing two actors and in, in two different films and one of them gets one more vote than the other but that happens to be the biggest number than that like that person could get that like I don't know how all of them work but I know there are some awards that function like that that person gets the award so it's very challenging when you're talking about these things because I think there's having one person get an award is such a weird thing when there's so much nuance to consider of like great example is the fact that I was talking about this with my friends musical and comedy is still one category when we have a lot of musicals today that are nowhere near comedy and like should be considered drama they are not funny musicals what you wouldn't I, call West Side Story a comedy <laughs> I, I don't know if I would so I think that's where you run into really big challenges is you're having 
like you're having some of these categories we're just continuing to use I mean there's even a fight of if we should continue to label things actors and actresses if we have so many people that are coming into this field who are non-binary like why why do we have the defined categories so I feel like there's so absolutely many problems, yeah, I agree but... I think specifically with the Golden Globes the Golden Globes for me was always like oh this is like the like predictor for the Oscars um so it's sort of the like the Oscar but like less low-key but like for me like I think the Golden Globes is so awfully organized like with like you said like the musical or comedy versus drama I don't know why people are still using genres as I don't know like advertisers created genres okay so it's you know I think it's stupid in that sense um and like I think in supporting in in best actor and actress there is a category for each for each genre so one for musical drama one for musical comedy and one for drama but in the supporting actor and actresses they're all clumped together so like these all these like really silly stupid like how the award show is organized i just never took it seriously anyway um but it still happened uh there were still winners um i kind of i think i watched most of the movies that were like highlighted but uh we'll 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 talk about that next week actually i wanted to do um our own lists of the best films we saw last year in in 2021 and there were some really great ones for sure um and some ones that i still haven't been able to catch yet um but yeah we're going to talk about that next week as well um but yeah no, no one else has anything else to say about the hfpa and the golden globes except for like well, same of the same old. <laughs> um, we can sort of cut off there. Um, so, yeah, that was this week's episode. We are back. Mystery Cinema, we are not in the studio, unfortunately, which means Spencer is still underwater. Um, but we will still be making episodes um, while we are online uh, at AU. But, yeah, thank you so much for listening once again. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. This is um honestly the dream of mine is doing it i've been watching like i've been like listening to like actual other radio podcasts and stuff now like this has made me get into other podcasts i, I feel like it should be the other way around but um but yeah uh thank you so much for listening um and we'll catch you next time <laughs>